This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone. Thanks for listening. Who wins when we win? Who wins when food security is created? Longtime listeners to our show will recognize this list. Families win, education wins, business wins, and healthcare wins. The answer to www who wins when we win makes the case for investment by the business community, education, and the state of Michigan to create a food secure state. On the other hand, who loses when we lose? All the same people, groups, and communities. So here's a question. What's the cost of winning? Or perhaps the better way to ask this question is what would it cost to do nothing? What's the price associated with losing? Hunger is expensive and is estimated to cost the economy, thereby businesses, thereby government, billions in tax revenue and billions more in programming. The biggest toll is paid in lost potential. From each child who never develops mentally, physically, and emotionally because of a lack of access to healthy food. You can calculate a lot of this cost, but you cannot calculate the loss of potential. Alternatively, food is cheap and plentiful. Food is cheaper than insulin. Food is cheaper than heart surgery. Food is cheaper than meds to control hypertension. Food is cheaper than replacing lost workers. Food is cheaper than the loss of potential. Here today is a person who understands the cost of doing something and doing nothing regarding food security. Dr. Delisha Pruitt is the medical director for the Saginaw County Health Department, a practicing physician, and our guest today on Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson. Jerry, great to see you on Zoom, as always, and, uh, and, and always co-hosting this show and, and doing all of the great work you're doing in Southeast Michigan. Well, thanks, Doctor. Right back at you. And I, I am eager for the days when we can get back in the studio. I, I miss seeing you in person. You know, you've been a, a friend and colleague for a long time, and uh, we don't get to see each other enough. And I, I know, uh, you know, you used to pay for lunch every once in a while, too. So, uh, you know, that never hurts. <laughs> right. That's right. why most people like me. So, <laughs> are the ones that do. <laughs> right. So enough about us. Um, Dr. Delicia Pruitt is our guest today. Dr. Pruitt, we're so honored to have you with us. And uh, as way of formal introduction, uh, wow, what a great life story. You're a physician. Uh, you've had your own practice. Now you're working with uh, 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 Central Michigan University. Uh, you're the the executive medical officer for the Saginaw County Health Department. Gee whiz. And you're also a member of the Governor's Food Security Council, which is how we connected. So, wow, what a great honor to have you with us today, and thanks for being here. 
Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, could we start with a little background? Could you tell us your story? Uh, yeah. Because it's, it's, I know it a little bit. I've shared it a bit with Jerry, but our listeners are going to be super inspired to hear about your family and your whole life and, and how you came to serve as a medical doctor. Yeah, so thanks for having me. I, I have to say that most importantly, I'm a wife of 25 years and a mother of four children. So that's really wow. important too. So um, I um, grew up here in Saginaw, Michigan, and um, my mom, my dad was born here, and my mom um, moved from Mississippi here. And um, when my dad was younger, um, he told his family members that he wanted to be a doctor, and they told him he would be a better trash man. And they would all laugh at him and tell him that he wouldn't become a doctor. So he was really smart. He played basketball. Um, and he went to the University of Michigan. Um, he, I think he played basketball for a little while. Um, and then he um, got his, uh, I would say, master's degree in administration for education. He tried to get into medical school. It didn't work out. And so he was a teacher for 10 years. And then he was laid off and worked as a substance abuse counselor for like maybe a year and decided, you know what? I always wanted to be that doctor. So at age 38 with eight children, he um, went to medical school. And so I got to see him um, as a medical student um, and go through residency while I was in junior high school and high school. So we're only 11 years behind each other in um, you know, medical school and our, in our education, our medical education. So he um, struggled through, but he made it through medical school. And when he graduated, he walked all of us across the stage with them because he said this was a whole family effort. But the hard part about my dad going to medical school was that we went from a two income family to a one income family. And that's when food insecurity became a part of my life. Wow. Wow. And and didn't you and your your dad, didn't you have the opportunity to practice medicine together? Yes. So um, actually, my dad and I, after residency for myself, my dad was a, a educator. So he was called an assistant director uh, of family medicine. And I, my first year um, of residency, I went to Henry Ford um, for the first year and transferred to, back to Saginaw, where my dad was an assistant director. And after I graduated from residency, I actually worked with my dad as an assistant director at CMU. It was called Saginaw Cooperative Hospitals then, and it was associated with Michigan State for two years. And then he and I actually worked together at a fairly qualified health center here uh, in Saginaw for five years together. Then we opened our own practice for eight years together. So my dad and I took a journey all together uh, for all this time. Matter of fact, when he when he left our practice and then I closed down the practice to come, come to CMU to be the program director, my dad was still working here. And he just uh, retired about a year ago. He's 72. Um, and he retired a year ago. So we have been working together doing from the time that I graduated all the way through throughout. Wow. You know, with seven siblings, yes. I'm just amazed at how far you went to become the favorite. I mean, that, that <laughs> is like medical school and practicing together. I mean, all that. I'm like, oh, yeah, some siblings will do anything to be the favorite. Yeah. But you know what's so funny that some of them say that, but I think part of the, the issue was 
is that, you know, I was with him every day. So I have a certain type of influence over him, I think, than other people um, do. He sure. will listen to me a little bit more. But, yeah, we, we went through the same journey. But let me just say something about my parents um, is that all eight of us have a bachelor's degree or more. Wow. So congratulations. They really, thank you. They really stressed education as an important milestone in our lives and so when we were kids my parents never said are you going to go to college it was all about what college you were going to go to because mm -hmm. that was the example and the expectation that's great you know what's amazing to me and you 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 looped in the the food insecurity which is of course what yes. we're jerry and i are about and and this show is about changing the conversation about food insecurity jerry um Dr. Pruitt's story, going from a two-income family to a one, just, and, 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 and look, I mean, we're talking medical doctors here, and yet food insecurity still found its way into their life. It's everywhere. There's it's nowhere everywhere. that it's not. There's not a community in Michigan that it does not attack families and, and hinder them. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. And of course, you know, I mean, part of, you know, just piggybacking on that a little bit, um, one of our objectives, right, one of the reasons why we think the safety net should be built so that it works for everyone is to bring relief to that situation. I mean, you know, you, you think about um, what it takes to get through medical school and parenting mm -hmm. and with the other spouse working and eight kids. I mean, that's no small thing. And so taking hunger off the table so that people in those situations and lots of other ones, though, really truthfully, can not have to worry about that. I mean, the relief, it's just, uh, I mean, and the capacity building, right? It doesn't just help today. It helps for the long term. And that's just a really good example of now you made it. You made it. You made it through made those it. times. How did you do it? How did you make it? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I I remember, you know, we made just enough so that we didn't get free lunch. OK, so my mom made just enough that that, that we didn't qualify. So um, there were there were moments where, you know, you would, you know, have money or not have money. Uh, you mm -hmm. would eat lunch at school. And then if, if we had a half a day and you would come home, there was no food at, at the house. So your 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 greatest meal is to eat at school. Um, and it was very difficult because I remember, um, coming home one day with my twin sister, I have a twin sister and we were like, oh my God, there's no food in the house. And so we, we looked all around and we found flour, uh, water and cherry pie filling. And so we made our own little dough out of this flour and water. And these were the worst tasting crackers you've ever tasted <laughs> in your life. I would just want you to know that. Um, and we put that cherry pie filling on top of those crackers and we ate that um, that um, afternoon because we weren't going to eat till my mom got home to bring something um, there. And, you right. know, we, we talk about a lasting um, impact. Do you know, to this day, I will not eat cherry pie filling because of that um, experience that I had um, then. Sure. And my husband always tells me, he goes, you know, we have a freezer in our house, you know, with our with our, our refrigerator, two freezers in the garage, and each one of them are full to the maximum. And he says, why do you do that? And I said, I think it's the long lasting impact that food insecurity had on my life 
to a point where I just I'm unable to like let just have enough in the house. I have right. to have more just to make sure that if something happens, we have more than enough to eat. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think there's so many kids that are growing up just exactly like that. And as Jerry says, it's our mission to take hunger off the table and relieve that toxic stress of food insecurity. And so thank you for being here with us. We want to do some more segments with you. Um, so this is uh, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, Dr. Delicia Pruitt. She is the medical director for Saginaw County Health Department and so many other things. She's our guest, and we're back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest, Dr. Delisha Pruitt, Medical Director for the Saginaw County Health Department. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. Um, you know, these, these instances, Dr. Pruitt, of in our lives that food insecurity, you know, barges through our uh, our door so to speak but yet as adults now we look back and they have really shaped us and yes. so you know i'm i'm not saying that there is a positive experience to be food insecure but yet it does help create us into the adults that we are today and i think it, yes. you probably have a story or two that that has been a catalyst for you to become who you are Yes, I would say that um, food security uh, gave me a work ethic um, because I had to um, figure out how to eat. And so one of the things I did was I went to um, Burger King that was nearby and I said to them, I am smart. I can count. Um, please give me a job. And they wouldn't give me a job. And I went there five, six times live to say, please give me a job. And they finally gave me a job. They put me on drive through. But the good thing about the job was that they gave free food for coming on time. So my twin sister and I uh, would come, come there. I would come on time. They give me a free Whopper. I split it in half. And my twin sister and I will have food to eat, uh, half a fry, half a Whopper. And we would share our drink just to make sure that we had something to eat. It's a catalyst for who we are today, right? And it is because I I I worked hard there. Um, my little checks were fifty dollars every two weeks, and I used to give my mom like ten or fifteen dollars of my check just to make sure she had a little extra to um, help help us in around the house. And then I brought my own prom dress. I paid for my own car. So there were a lot of things that I did myself because we didn't have enough, and it taught me enough work work ethics so that when I went to medical school. I wasn't afraid of hard work to get what I wanted. And you got three jobs now, and they're all full-time. <laughs> so some things really don't change. <laughs> Talk a little you know bit what? about how how you got from there to here. I mean, now, I mean, you are doing so much good work in so many different ways in your community. Talk a little bit about what that work is today. 
Well, um, the work that I do today is amazing. I, I've, I've taken a path from like owning my own practice, working at a fairly qualified health center. I used to be a medical director of a hospice. And so I've actually had a lot of um, touches into many different fields of medicine. So what was so wonderful about this was that CMU recruited me from my own practice to come to be the program director, which is the head over all of the teachers who teach doctors on how to be family medicine doctors. So I was a program director over the family medicine residency. And so what happened was um, I did the program director for four years and then they came to me one day and said, are you interested in being a medical director of the, of the health department? And believe it or not, that's, that's been one of my dreams for many years, because mm. what it is is a culmination of all the things that I've done and it puts it all together. And I think it's really great as a physician to be able to help a patient one-on-one, but to do one on 1,000, one on 100,000, one on a million, is still an impact too. And I'm not saying it's a better impact because one-on-one is very important, but I think that I still do one-on-one, but I think that one on 100,000, one on 1 million, one on 1,000, is powerful um and so right now um i'm on my last class for my master's in public health um and i'll have that uh, so i've been going to school for the last three years um and i'm really excited because i really hope one day to do um state level work and federal work um for uh, population health and public health Wow. Well, it's certainly needed, and it's certainly an area that we intersect a lot with. I mean, we yeah. fundamentally believe food is medicine, right? And that one of the challenges with food insecurity is it makes the community so much less healthy. And that's, that's right. not only terribly trying for a person in their life, but it's also a super expensive way for the community to address health, right? I mean, if, 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 if patients have enough food, we know their medicine works better, right? We know they recover from surgeries better. We know that they're able to manage diseases like diabetes better, right? There's so many reasons why food is so important to that picture. And what a great uh, um, vision. Uh, and, and for you and for us to think that you're headed into this field that is so important to us. It is. And I think I think you're so right when you say that food is, is like the precursor. Um, having a, a, a relationship with food sometimes that's unhealthy is a precursor to a lot of disease states. And when you don't have enough, um, it can really set you up because then you eat whatever you can get your hands on. And in our city, we're like the number 77th uh, like healthy city out of 83 out of the state of Michigan um, because of our uh, food deserts that we have in our city and also food insecurity that we have in our city. And so it's really something really important. I think a lot of times people don't think about um, how food insecurity impacts people's health. Um, and I think a lot of times what happens is when you don't have enough food, when you do have it, you can like binge trying to get as much as you can um, because you don't know the next time you're going to have enough food, which actually puts you at risk for obesity, um, which and then obesity is a precursor for diabetes, hypertension, stroke and all the rest. So it's really important for us to make sure that kids and adults have healthy food and healthy food choices and not just um things that they can buy at a convenience store um, and no healthy fruits and vegetables. Like there are convenience stores all around us where you can get 
Cheetos and chips and all kinds of things, but not fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah, and you explain that so well. One of the questions that we get frequently is, how can you have food insecure people who are overweight? Mm-hmm. And, and you just described how. It's exactly right that what happens is you get into this pattern behavior of binge eating mm-hmm. when you have enough money for food that's actually really terrible for you and terrible for all of your systems, right? And that's so right. you can actually be food insecure for a week a month where you might spend that whole last week of the month not knowing whether or not you're going to have enough food. But when you do have enough food, you're way overeating, kind of compensating for those times when, when you're struggling. And it really is it really is problematic and you just explained it so well so so thank you for that and um and again for your ongoing work i i love the idea of helping the thousand or the ten thousand or the hundred thousand or the million and i think in our work as food banks we're engaged in that same idea you know that that we know that our partner agencies and the schools we work with are are meeting one-on-one with people and and meeting their needs in really important ways and the, the best way we can help is to try to figure out how to make sure nobody has to wait in line longer than necessary. And everyone who needs food has a way to get the food they need to solve so many problems. So it's a really good synergy on this call. I'm excited. I have goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, let's, let's, let's let Jerry calm down for just a minute, and we're going to take a quick break. But come back with our guest, Dr. Delisha Pruitt. Jerry Brisson, me, Dr. Phil Knight. We're back. Come back and be with us. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Dr. Delisha Pruitt, Jerry Brisson, myself, Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening to Food First Michigan here. And uh, what a story, Dr. Pruitt. Um, And, you know, we touched a little bit in that last segment about uh, your influence. And and really how I would describe that is while you're a a physician and you're seeing patients one-on-one, in fact, you're doing that today, and they're probably waiting for you right now, and we (laughs) drug you in to do this show. But also you are as the... um, as the uh, chief medical director for the health department in Saginaw County, you're influencing the influencers. Right. And I think also with the Food Security Council, of which you and I serve together, that Governor Whitmer has appointed, uh, we're having an opportunity to influence not just the influencers, but the policymakers. And I think that's really a space we need to amplify our voice about food insecurity and its impact on, on, on all the areas of society. And as your story indicates, it's, it, can, it can walk into anyone's home. That's it can correct. walk into anyone's home. Right. So before my dad um, went to medical school, I mean, my parents, we all went to a, uh, a Catholic school where they paid for us to go to school. And for the first time, I had to go to public school. So our lives changed, like, you know, in an instant. Mm-hmm. And because we moved away from my family while my dad was going to Michigan State, we didn't have that social support around us that we normally have. And you, you think, you know, how could someone not have enough food? things change so quickly. And one of the things that have changed is COVID-19 has changed a lot of people's life. 
And people who are once secure are now insecure and never thought they would be in that situation. And so I think sometimes when people judge people's food insecurity, you know, they think, uh, what did they do? Were they not working hard? Did they? And all those things are wrong. Sometimes something small can change or something big can change and change your whole livelihood around. And then all of a sudden you're food insecure without even knowing like, you know, having anything to do with what happened. A lot of people lost their jobs during COVID-19. Right. And so many people in this economy are living on the edge anyway. On the edge, You know, they're going check, paycheck to paycheck, and then all of a sudden when that paycheck drops, it has a severe and immediate impact on the family's ability to provide food. Yes. Well, it saps your energy and so many other things, too. I mean, you know, part of... Part of when you have something happen in your life that's unexpected is emotional, right? And and just, you know, having the the space, if you will, to think differently about your life because now you got to deal with this thing, whatever that is, whether it's unemployment or a health concern or a lot of times it's a loss of a loved one from the home for yes. death or divorce or anything like that. Those are, you know, big reasons why people need food help. And, and, the, and they feel guilty. They feel ashamed. Yes. They feel like they did something terribly wrong. And in so many cases... It's just not that simple. There's a there's a myriad of things that led to this. And so the 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 sooner in fact we say the sooner people get help the better. You know, but people always wait too long. They always try to fix it themselves. They, and it's because they just feel guilty and it's like, oh, it's so hard, you know. And I get it. I would feel guilty. I understand that's a cultural thing, right? It's how we are. But, uh, but man, we want people to get help soon so they can get on with managing their life and being successful and, and doing the things they need to do for themselves and for their families. Yeah, and that's what we're doing on this Food Security Council. We're, we're, we're giving recommendations and coming up with um, ideas and looking at the data to say, how can we help people who are food secure in our state? Um, because... I think there is um, a measure of guilt that people have and say, did I do something wrong? And we're trying to let people know if you're food insecure, get help. It's nothing to be ashamed of um, because what it does is put a stress on the family, um, a constant daily stress on the family, which is not good for your health, by the way. Um, Mm -hmm. And we want you to know that if you can get help and consistently get help, that would be better. I think children really do it has a lasting impact uh, on children. Um, and like I said to this day, like if you offer me some cherry pie, it's no way I'm going to eat a piece of pie, cherry pie to, <laughs> to save my life. Only eat fresh cherries. That's it. <laughs> because of that one experience. And, you know, it yeah. sounds silly, but, you know, it, it changed me forever. Um, and um, I'm a hard worker and I do what I do because I've had the experience. But I think I could have been a hard worker without that experience, too. Sure. <laughs> you know, I had grow. You know, I didn't really know this until really we started doing this show. But I can. It caused me to think back to a time in my childhood where I can remember, like, my mom would make um, bologna for for supper. That was our dinner: bologna and yeah. and whatever vegetables we had because we grew them right. Mm-hmm. And I was always one. I always thought, "Oh, we're having bologna tonight." It wasn't until I got older and really got acquainted that I understood that we were having bologna for a reason, right? And so, 
every once in a while, now don't tell my doctor I said this, because he's been on this show too. Yeah, but, but he every listens, once doctor. in a while, <laughs> I want to have a bologna sandwich. Now, I know that's probably not really healthy for me and nitrates and all that stuff we know about sure. now that we didn't know about then. But we had bologna because we didn't have a choice. Right. And, and you so, know what? It's so funny, Phil, because our bologna, they would, to make it a delicacy, I guess, they would fry it in the, on, the, on the stove, you know, and it bubbled up on the that, side. That's, that's, and that's special bologna. That was it. That was it. I, it. I, I, to this day, I every once in a while I get a craving for a burnt bologna sandwich. Yes, exactly. The burnt ones are the best. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so this is... Uh, Dr. Pruitt, this is so great to have you, and, and thank you for being so open about your experience and how that shaped you into the caring physician and also the influencer that you are and that you are becoming. And so thank you. we often say to our guest, um, thank you for how you're investing your one handful of life to make life better and for standing in the gap, particularly for patients who come to you that are food insecure and for the entire county of of Saginaw. Thank you so much for having me and letting me tell my story. It's awesome. It's great to have you. And I'll see you again in a couple of weeks at the Food Security Council. Okay. Take care, guys. Thank you so much. Jerry and I are back in just a minute to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson joins me, Dr. Phil Knight, here for the last segment. Jerry, Dr. Delicia Pruitt, um, what a story. Yeah, and um, you know what it reminds me of? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us down a little path here. When we first started working around healthcare, care, um, what got our attention were the nurses. And the nurses were telling us, we are seeing so many people that have no food and we don't know what to do. We, what, can we refer them somewhere? Can we do anything to help these people who are coming to our doors who need medical help but who are also going home to no food in the cupboard? And, and that was powerful. And, and I'll never forget those, con- those early conversations with the nurses who were really tr- just trying to deal with a practical reality in their life and not even thinking about it systematically. Just what can we do, right? Mm-hmm. And, and talking to Dr. Pruitt today, who's an amazing healthcare professional, who's decided to spend a chunk of her life on population health improvement and knows how important food security is from her own experience, think of how much she's going to resonate with those nurses who are still there, who are still working with us, who are helping us invent new programs to help people, who are, who are on the front lines as we're trying to figure out what's the best way to reach these patients with the right amount of food and the right amount of time, and then helping us put the research panels together so we can understand what is the impact of this from a health and from a cost perspective. And I, I just, it's hard for me not to get excited about how far we've come from those early days when all we knew was a bunch of nurses were saying we need help. Right. 
And you know, Jerry, I, we've come so far, and certainly you've been on the forefront of that, um, a bit of the John the Baptist role, if you will, out in the front in regard to health care. And I'm, I'm really happy to report, you know, some of the shows we've done recently has really highlighted some of the projects that are going on. Dr. Pruitt talked about um, being at uh, a federally qualified health center, and now we have a project with uh, the South Michigan Food Bank and the Food Bank Council, uh, Peter Vogel and his team working with Grace Help down and around Battle Creek and Kalamazoo, a federally qualified health center. And that, we are, have high hopes for that model, right? That that, that could be something where a, a pantry becomes part of that clinic, and that is a place that, uh, a model that could be replicated across the state. And that would give us access, we think, to a, a segment of the food insecure population that we haven't readily have access to. And I think, you know, that's one of the steps that helps us take the state to the next level of food security all across the state. Well, and we talk about that the way you get to a food secure community or a community that doesn't have to suffer from hunger, right? The way you get there is through these types of innovations. You figure out who has a stake in this that can add some resources and some thought and some depth and some, you know, breadth of experience that can get us one more step, one more step. And because of these steps at a time, we're going to get there. And, and so, yeah, and, and having, again, listening to somebody like Dr. Pruitt, who, who is an influencer, and, and who keeps being called higher, right, from those around her. She keeps being asked to do more. Can you do one more thing? Well, of course she will. You can hear it in her voice. Of course she will. She'll do the next thing until she can't do any more. And what an inspiration and a joy it is for us to have people around us like that, right? And I, and I just want to say to our listeners, we hope that's how you feel, too. Really, we, you know, you are part of this journey with us. You're part of what's making this movement real. And, and the, the, I hope you get some of the goosebumps we get when we have successes and stories like this to share. Absolutely. You know, uh, the show here, of course, airs on Sunday nights at uh, 9 o'clock on WJR, but then it's preserved as a podcast at foodfirstmi.org, and you can subscribe to the podcast at yeah, iTunes or Google Play or wherever you find your podcast. And and that's really about, you know, we, we started the show, Jerry, to change the conversation about food insecurity. And I think we've done that to a, a large degree. But next, we said we really wanted to create a movement in order to understand what food security really does to the community, does to our families, our children, our seniors, and, and create the kind of political and personal will so that we can finally take hunger off the table and people can be delivered from this toxic stress of food insecurity. And that's how people can join this movement. Yeah, and, uh, and it's, it's moving forward a step at a time. I mean, even during the pandemic when so many more people needed help, 
the number of people who already knew about the issue and who were willing to step up right away and say, I can do something, is what's made it possible for us to increase our food distribution to meet the need in the state of Michigan during this whole pandemic. And, I, and I, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to all the food banks in the state of Michigan who've had to learn a lot and do a lot really fast, but also to all the people that supported them um, and who continue to support them to make sure that our hungry neighbors are well taken care of while we're managing a really difficult time in our history. Well, with that, Jerry, it's time for a little food for thought. Let me tell you a story. There was a strong storm one night and a surge that hit the beach so hard. And there was a man who walked down to see his beach and what it looked like after the storm. It was covered with seaweed, shells, and starfish. And in the distance, he saw another man walking up the beach. And every few feet, he would bend over, pick something up, and toss it back into the water. As he drew closer, the beach owner could see that he was picking up the starfish and throwing them back in. The beach owner looked to his right, and as far as he could see, he saw a beach littered with debris. The same as he looked back to the left and saw the starfish rescuer. As he approached the beach owner, the beach owner said, Do you know how long this beach is? Do you know how strong the storm was last night? What are you doing? You cannot possibly rescue every starfish. You cannot possibly make any difference in the scope of this problem. The beach walker simply bent over, picked up a starfish, looked at the incredulous beach owner and said, I can make a difference to this one, and tossed the starfish back into its home. Dr. Pruitt is one of the many who are making a difference to this sometimes huge, seemingly insurmountable problem of food security. She is making a difference, and so are we. And you can join us here every week on WJR or our podcast, and let's continue to make a difference by keeping food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.